Awesome. Well, it's a joy for me to watch that again and to see all that the Lord has done. And uh, it truly is marvelous in our eyes, you know, thinking back on where we were a year and a half ago to where we are now. It's just, just such a great privilege to be involved in this, to be able to spectate and see what God is doing through our two churches. And really, the story of Summer Grace Church Parramatta is our partnership with Summer Grace Church of Wurunga. You know, we are a church plant that went out, you know, with training wheels and an electric-powered motor downhill. You know, we, we were easy. It was, we were so well supported. Um, we couldn't have been more supported, really, I think, other than Dave just doing it all himself. <laughs> you know, um, as a church plant, uh, as a pastor, a new pastor, I, I was in regular meetings with Dave and the team. My wife, beautiful Maddie, um, she was, we were cared for so well in that time. We got to be sent out with 28 members from this church who were well discipled and ready. And so as a church plant, we have just been so, so blessed. And we've taken so much of the theology and practice from here and just tried to mould it and shape it for our new context. Um, I, I just try and copy Dave and Patrick and Brendan and figure out how to be a pastor just like them. And I want to commend Dave and Patrick and Pre- um, Brendan as incredible pastors. You know, now that I've been doing it for a year, you get a different perspective on what it's like to be in their shoes. And Friends, you are very well served by these men. I love the fact even that you guys went to three services because their heart for you is they want you to know Christ and to be under the word and to be fed and to be taught. And even that, you know, was crazy amount of service. It's an expression of just how much they care for you as their pastors. And so I'm very grateful to be led still by you guys and to be in partnership with you as a church. We couldn't have done it without you guys, and even though we don't see each other all the time, the the friendship and the partnership is real, uh, and we feel it, and we can't wait to the day when we get to be at retreat all together, Sovereign Grace Churches Australia, singing, praising, hanging out, staying up late, playing soccer together, you know, like, you know, if if you're new, that's kind of a tradition at retreat, late night soccer, that's where my uncoordination comes out most chiefly. (laughs) Um, As a church, we were sent out from here with 28 members, um, and in that time, over the past year, we've seen 22 new people join us, um, plus their kids. We've had four babies born in the church. We've had two weddings, which has been fun, two baptisms, which happened at our anniversary service, which is awesome. We've had three people taken through Christianity Explored, and a large number of non-church people join us on Sundays at different events and just different Sunday gatherings. Um, it's been a really awesome experience to, to go out there and preach the gospel in a new context. No one could have predicted, obviously, when we were planting that we would have spent so much time doing it via Zoom. Uh, but the Lord had gone before us. Uh, you know, as a church, when we were online for months and months and months, we were already a family. And so we were interconnected and interrelated. And all that we'd learn about church is not a service, it's a family of people running the race together was put into practice in those months. And so as a result, actually, the Lord brought us stronger, um, even over that COVID time. And when we were relaunching, we lost our venue, we had to find a new venue, and the Lord provided again. We're in this cafe music store in Rydalmere, which is it's really cool, but it doesn't really work. It's too small and nowhere for kids. And so 
Hopefully we can go back to our original venue. But through it all, it's just been a story of God's grace um, and a story of joy. Our team has just done such a great job. They've served so servant-hearted. Our core team has just been so excellent. And so I'm a very happy pastor. I'm a very privileged pastor that I get to do this with the people I get to do it with and that we do it as a team of two churches and God willing, hopefully many more across Sydney and Australia and across the world even. That's, That's the hope and that's the plan. So that's a little bit of an update on us as uh, Sovereign Grace Parramatta. I'm aware that you guys have started a new series. Um, Dave um, keyed me in that you're on the church on mission. And last week, Dave preached, I looked at his message that uh, getting out of the ghetto. And by that, he meant getting out of the, the Christian ghetto and out into the world to tell people about Jesus. And he shared this beautiful story at the end of a, a pastor at the Titanic swimming from drowning person to drowning person with this desire to see them saved before they plunge into eternity and himself coming under the waters. And Dave's preached on this great heart that we are to have as disciples. Not, you know, it's not just the job of the church or the pastors or the ministry workers. It's the job of everyone to get out of our little Christian subculture, cozy world and get out to people. But that then raises the question, what do you do once you're out of the ghetto and you're in the world? How do you actually go about reaching people for Christ and winning them to him? And that's the point of today's message. And we're going to study the master missionary, the Apostle Paul. um, And we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. And the title of the message is completely stolen from Dave from 10 years ago or something when he preached this at <laughs> here originally, it's called In It to Win It. So let's read 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. I need my Bible. All right, that'll help. It'll be on the screen. Otherwise, get it up on your, in your Bible. If you're on your phone, go on flight mode. You know, it's too much of a distraction. Alrighty. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of Christ, uh, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all means, I might save some. I do it all, for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Would you pray with me? Lord, our God and Father, we pray and ask that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Unfortunately, my wife Maddie and the kids can't be here today because they're sick and you know we don't want to spread sickness especially from Parramatta into Wurunga you know that would be devastating we'd put all of Wurunga into lockdown we don't want to happen uh, that to happen but if you know my wife well you know that she's a great cook Uh, she loves to make and bake and create and she's awesome at it 
And, you know, so she, she's the one that does it all. I don't do anything to do with her, especially baking. The last time I baked, I made scones and set a pinch of salt. I must have put a, a palm of salt in because they were, they were not scones, they were salts, uh, you know. That. So I'm not a baker. But when we were in America, in Louisville, Kentucky, um, one of the things that they wanted to do for us was to throw a special party uh, for, the, for the pastor's college ki- uh, kids, <laughs> pastor's college students and their wives. And one of the things they wanted to do to bless the wives was to cook their favorite dessert for them. So all these people, they're out of home, they're out of their own state, they're in Louisville, Kentucky. So they wanted to have their favorite thing. So they came to all the husbands and made it a surprise for the wives. And we had to provide the perfect recipe for them to cook so that on the night, the wives could be blessed with the perfect dessert. I was like, this is easy. I know exactly what we can do because it's a cake that Maddie bakes all the time. We hadn't had it since being in America. It's super simple. It's gluten-free. It's Nigella Lawson's chocolate cloud cake. It's, it's awesome. There's no flour in it. It's just sugar and chocolate. That's basically all it is, sugar and chocolate. You can't go wrong. Came to the night, they bring out the cake and, you know, it, it looks good, it, it looks fine, um, not as good as Maddie's, but still good, you know, and then we take our first bite and I'm like, oh no, what is this? It tasted completely different to the way that Maddie makes it and it tasted orangey and bitter. I was like, what is going on? And Maddie's, and I said, I just gave them the recipe, how could they get it wrong? She said, oh, I never follow the recipe. (laughs) You know, I always change it. And it turns out that in the Nigella Lawson recipe, there's orange. It's working. All right, here we go. We're back on. Something. Uh, I don't even know what I was saying. Uh, She never uses the recipe. And so when I gave them the recipe, I thought this will produce an epic, outstanding cake. And I couldn't wait to share it with everyone. But look at this awesome cake. Didn't turn out to be what I expected. Uh, Because the reality was, in order to create that epic cake, I needed to translate it into the new context with actually the right ingredients. You see, when it comes for us as Christians to go out into the world and try and share the gospel to people that that are outside of Christ, we, we know we have an epic cake. We know how good it tastes. And sometimes we forget that in order for other people to taste the same cake that we're eating, we forget to translate it into such a way that they can actually receive the same thing. You see, we, you know, forget that we've got to go from sort of metric to imperial or or that we've got to leave out certain ingredients and keep certain ones in because when we just go straight in and say you know Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins to propitiate God's wrath so that you can have a tone with God and be justified and sanctified and glorified and redemption is all done in Jesus Christ they're like whoa what is going on like that they're the ingredients to the gospel but we need to translate it so we can create the same cake so that they can enjoy it too You see, in the words of the Apostle Paul, he said this, we need to become all things to all people in order that we might win some. You see, there's all these cultural barriers and relational barriers, contextual barriers that we come up against when we go out, out of the ghetto and into the world. Yes, we need to seek the lost. Yes, we need to share the gospel. And yes, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That is true. But it's not that simple. And it's not that easy. You see, to effectively translate and have the same cake experience for everyone when they hear the gospel, we need to do the hard work of translating it into their context in their world. It requires time 
effort, sacrifice and adaptation on our part. In order to win the world, we need to be in their world so they can hear and taste the same thing. So how do we go about making sure everyone experiences the same epic gospel chocolate cloud cake? Well, today we're going to look at three points. Uh, three points from you know, this passage and, and trying to apply it practically. Point number one, a model of being in it to win it. And we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. Point number two, the challenge of being in it to win it. and See how hard it is to do this. And number three, an approach to being in it to win it. And one main point, we need to be in the world to win the world. And if you're not yet a Christian and you're listening in, you might be thinking, this sounds like marketing and, and you know, manipulation and you're changing what you're doing so that you can win us and you convert us to your tribe. It might sound like that, but the reality is, is we're doing it out of love. We like our cake and we want you to taste it and see how good it is. So if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, just kind of see us as trying to give you the best cake you possibly can and understand it so you can enjoy it as well. And don't be offended. Just listen in and listen to the beauties of how good the gospel is. So point number one, a model for being in it to win it. This is one of the best places in the New Testament to find a model for how do we go about contextualizing the gospel. That's kind of the big theological term that the Bible guys use to take you know, the, the, the material, the raw data of the gospel and bring it into different contexts where different lives are lived, with different worldviews and religions and experiences and backgrounds. That's the process of contextualization. And here we see the Apostle Paul's amazing example at doing that. You see, Paul is a master in spreading the truth of the gospel across different cultures. If you spend any time reading through the book of Acts, you'll see the Apostle Paul preaching to religious Jews, philosophical Greeks, pagan peasants, voodoo witch doctors, Roman elites and governors, the rich the poor, and everyone in between. And in 1 Corinthians 9, the passage I read earlier, we see an inside scoop as to how Paul went about doing that, what his model for mission actually looked like in practice, and him explaining it. But before we jump into this passage, Paul, we need to kind of understand the context of what Paul has been saying. See, the background to this little section, the Apostle Paul has been saying to the Corinthian church, as you go about living as Christians, as a community, and spreading the gospel to your surrounding community in the Greek pagan culture of Corinth, you need to lay down your preferences and your rights and your desires for the sake of other people. You are to be slaves, not masters in the world. He says it like this in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, that's the right to being paid to be a preacher, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Isn't that a beautiful heart that Paul has? We will endure anything, we will take on any suffering, any loss, any deprivation, any loss of even our rights and our you know, expectations of who we are as a Christian and as a child of God so that we can remove every obstacle that we come across in cross-cultural mission. And in verse 19 in the passage, he says this, 
For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. See, the heart, before you get into trying to adapt and get out of the ghetto, into the world, to win the world, you know, translate the gospel, get the cake out there, you need to have a heart, a heart that says, I am laying down my life for the sake of winning others to Christ. I will adapt, I'll flex. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul does. So how do we remove these barriers, cultural and language and education and worldview and religion? You know, I'm experiencing so much of that in Parramatta as you meet with people. As I just do the school pickup, you know, you're speaking to a Muslim and then a Hindu and then an atheist and then all different backgrounds and cultures, authority structures, how they view the world. How do you do it? Well, let's look at what Paul does in verse 20. But just as a slight caveat, it can be tempting for us to kind of look at the Apostle Paul and go, oh, well, that's Paul, you know, it's Paul. <laughs> He's like, spirit-filled apostle, I'm never going to be like Paul. I can't do this. This is not a good model for me. But Paul anticipates that objection. And in chapter 11, at the end of this whole section, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so as we read through Paul's example and his model, he's actually saying to us, follow my example, do this. Be like me as I imitate Jesus. So what did he do? Verse 20. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. What Paul is saying here is that he's willing to adopt unnecessary Jewish practices so that he doesn't cause offence to the Jewish people who still follow the Old Testament but don't follow Christ, so he can get in there with you know, the Old Testament Scriptures and preach to them from there that Jesus really is the Lord and Saviour of their life and they need to repent and believe in him. He adopts unnecessary practices for their culture so that he can preach the necessary message of the Gospel without unnecessarily offending them. Right? So it's, it's a bit complex. For one example, um, Paul goes into one particular area and he's bringing with him Timothy. Now, Timothy is Greek-born and he's not circumcised. If you know anything about the Old Testament, to be a covenant child of God, you need to be circumcised. And so to be hanging around with an uncircumcised dude was like a bad thing. I don't know how they figured that out. But anyway, to be hanging out with an uncircumcised dude was a bad thing. So what did Paul do when he went into this town so that he wouldn't cause offense, so he could actually preach the gospel? Old mate Timothy had to get circumcised. Poor fella. That was Paul's, you know, his will, he was willing for Timothy to suffer so that he could preach the gospel. But Timothy was willing to suffer and follow in Paul's example. When he preaches to Jewish people in Acts, he cites the Old Testament. He uses their authoritative texts. He reasons with them from their worldview so that they can come to see that the fulfillment of their worldview is actually Jesus Christ. But note that Paul doesn't go all in. He doesn't become Jewish again. So he says, you know, though myself am not under the law. So he's aware that there's this kind of art rather than science approach to adapting for cultural mission. You're going in and you're trying to figure out which practices do I do and not do so that I can be effective for the gospel. And other times when he goes to certain places, he didn't circumcise those who he's with. So he was obviously making decisions out of wisdom. And that's where it gets hard. In verses 21 to 22, we see what he's like with those who are not Jewish, the Greeks, the Gentiles. 
So to those outside the law, that's outside the Jewish covenantal system, I became as one outside the law. Again, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Why? That I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. So now Paul's showing us how he reaches out to Gentiles. He abandons all of his past cultural Old Testament dietary laws and customs. He, he abandons all the things that are unnecessary in the Old Testament code that have been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And he adopts the Gentile way of life as much as he can so that he can preach the gospel to them. In fact, if you read through, um, you look in, in the book of Acts, you'll see many times where Paul actually uses poets and philosophers from the Greek pagan worldview to actually help them understand the gospel. He enters their world, he knows their world, he uses their sources, he acts like them in such a way so that he can win them to Christ. But again, note the caveat, he's not just all in on like becoming all things to all men. He says, I'm not outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So in the name of mission, Paul doesn't go down to the local Gentile temple and you know, join in the orgy um, in order to reach out. Like That wasn't a, an option for Paul. He, he becomes all things to all men, but he holds this tension of still being under Christ. So then in the last section there, he summarizes both his model and his motivation. So this is his model, verse 22b. I have become all things to all people. Adaptation, contextualization, translation. Motivation, that by all means I might save some. So for Paul, he flexes to win, not like flexes, but like flexibility flexes. He flexes to win, not to fit in. You see, mission, as we go out, out of the ghetto, requires flexibility, requires adaptation. It requires for us sacrificial laying down of our preferences and our privileges and even our rights in order to win those who are outside of Christ. Yet, never compromising, never diluting the gospel, never changing the message so that it's no longer offensive. What Paul wants to do is remove any barrier and get in as close as he can to people's hearts so that the only thing that truly offends them is the message of the gospel. He still goes and preaches Christ crucified and that you need to repent of your sins and that you need to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and if you don't, there'll be judgment from the one holy God. He still preaches that message, but he adapts and flexes so he can actually get to a point where he can be heard. And verse 23 kind of reveals the heart of where he's going. This isn't just like Paul campaigning or trying to build his tribe, get more followers on Twitter or I guess TikTok. Do you? I don't know. Maybe, I'm sure you have followers on TikTok. I don't have it. But something like, he's not trying to build a crowd. Look at verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. You see, Paul is motivated by deep, love for those who are outside of Christ. 
He's motivated by the reality that many men and women in many cities in his time are going to hell. And so as a result, he's like, I've got to get out there. I've got to preach the gospel. And in order to preach the gospel, I've got to do it in a way that I can be heard. So I'm going to flex and adapt and become a Jew to the Jews and a Greek to the Greeks so that Oh, so that we can share in the benefit of the gospel together, so that they can become my brother and sister in Christ, so that we can go to heaven together, so that they can have all their sins forgiven. See, for Paul, it wasn't about getting people on his team. It was about them experiencing the grace of God for themselves and get to share in it together. He is in it to win it. And he wants to share the riches with anyone he can. A question for us now as we reflect on his model and motivation is to ask this. Do you have the same heart as the Apostle Paul? Do you have a heart that wants, to, wants desperately to see those you, don't, uh, those you love who don't know Christ be one to him? Are you willing to uh, remove any obstacle so that you might win more? Are you willing to adapt and flex so that more people might be won in? Well, the reality is this is no easy task. We've got Paul's model there, adapt, flex, all things to all men, in it to win it. But when it comes to the ground level of actually doing that, that's really difficult. And it's difficult, I think, for our heart, and then just for our normal practice, and that's our remaining two points. The point number two, the challenge of being in it to win it. You see, we've seen Paul's model. We've seen what he does. We, we, we can look at his practice. But the challenge is, is that it's art, not science. There's no one perfect law as to how you were to go out in your particular circumstance, in your world, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your city, and actually adapt and flex. Because I think there's two major dangers we can have when we read Paul's mantra, all things to all men. The first danger is that we over-adapt and become like the world. The first danger is that we over-adapt and we become like the world. So we want to win the world, so we go into the world and we, we try to be relevant and unoffensive and interesting. We become a Jew to the Jews, Gentile to the Gentiles. And, but over time, we begin to relax and, and we kind of enter the world and we're in the world and, and then our morals start to dip down and, and our, our beliefs start to change and we start to become more and more like the world. We have the same career aspirations, goals and the same worldview over time and, and more and more we become like them without making them like Christ. And one uh, you know, podcaster said it like this, we become captured by the world rather than capturing the world. We become worldly, accepting others, which is nice and it helps, and being accepted by others, which is good, but compromised. You are in the world, but have become of the world. And the, the danger of this is not just for your heart, but also for your mission. Because realistically, if you become all things to all men and become just like them, you're not different enough to them in order to challenge their godlessness. The light of the good news of the gospel gets lost in the darkness around you. You become big on love and you've got lots of Christian, non-Christian friends and you're super connected in the community 
but light on truth. And therefore, you can't win anyone to Christ because you're unwilling to challenge them with the offensive news of the gospel. And, you know, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you might know Christians like this. And you might like them and be friends with them and you're super easy to hang out with them because they're just like you, but you probably don't respect them because they don't truly live how you know, from what you know of the Bible, how they're meant to live. So you might like them but not respect their beliefs because they're too weak. That's the first challenge I think Paul and for us we would face as we try and be in the world to win the world as we become like the world and we get captured by it rather than capturing it. The second challenge is that we under-adapt to the world. So out of fear of becoming like that or just forgetfulness, Christian ghetto, you know, we get into life group and uh, what, uh, what do you guys call Gospel community group. We have a hangouts and lunch after church and all these things and our life just gets consumed with Christian friendship and fellowship that we actually don't have deep and close friends who are outside of the church. And then as a result, when we go to preach the gospel and try and tell people who are outside of Christ about God, you know, we start, we don't know their worldview, we don't know their hearts, we don't know their life, and so we're just saying words which make no sense. We're trying to just say gospel things that we've heard, but we haven't actually contextualised it to meet them. We're sort of like the COVID-safe Uber Eats delivery. They just drop it and run, and there's no kind of interaction, there's no real winning people. It's just like, I'm going to be faithful and drop the gospel on you and then run away (laughs) and not have to deal with the consequences. So it's good. You're not of the world. You're not captured by the world. But maybe the challenge to that side is you're not in it either. And we see in Paul, we need to be in it to win it. You can be big on truth, but light on love. And so if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, you might know Christians who are like that and you probably don't like them. <laughs> you know, you're not, probably not mates with them because they're offensive and they're rude and they just want to truth bomb you all the time. But you might actually respect them because you're like, they really do believe it. So how do we kind of go about putting, you know, avoiding the dangers on either side? That's a real challenge. I mean, where do you more often fall? Over-adapt or under-adapt. I know for me, I can be so prone to under-adapting. I can be so like churched and I'm a pastor, spend time with the saints that more and more and more my calendar just fills with more and more time with believers and I don't have as much space in my heart for unbelievers and then I don't know what they're thinking and believing and then I don't know how to preach the gospel to them as well and it's a vicious cycle. Well, Jesus has called us as missionaries into the world Not to become of the world, but to be in it and to shine as a light. And so how do we go about doing that practically? Being in, but not of. Not over-adapting, not under-adapting. Well, that leads us to point number three. An approach to being in it to win it. Sort of a humble suggestion. Just an approach. One approach, one way in which we can try and not fall out on either side. You know, Paul has his great model. How do we actually apply it practically? Well, Tim Keller has a really fantastic illustration that he uses when he's trying to teach his church about how to be in it to win it. Um, and he, he uses the illustration of building a highway. 
So when they, if you've ever driven up the M1, you'll notice that on either side you're flanked by huge rock walls um, that are, you know, look like impervious. How did they get through this mountain to build a road? It's just a miracle that there was just these perfect position for the road here. Well, no, <laughs> the road didn't just, you know, there wasn't just this snaking way through. They had to blow their way through it. So in order to build a highway to get from one destination to the next, what they would do is when they come across all these rocks, they have to drill down into the centre of the rock Then they lay all these explosives down into the middle of it. Then they blow it up and then the path is laid out. And very much, this is very much the pattern about how we are to go about contextualizing the gospel, being in it to win it. We are to drill down deep into other people's lives and actually know them really well so that we can then take this beautiful message of the gospel that Jesus died for their sins and rose again to give them new life and secures for them a place in heaven. We can preach that message to the particular concerns and fears and anxieties that they have so that they can truly hear it and then boom, the gospel goes off and they're exploded. I don't know, maybe the analogy breaks down at that point. So um, Tim Keller gives this um, three kind of steps. Enter into the world, challenge the world, and then appeal to the world. Or drill in, explode, and kind of make a way. Because the reality is, if you just spend all your time drilling in, and you're super close and friends with everyone, and everyone likes you, but you never lay the gospel challenge down, there'll be lots of holes in rocks, but no movement the obstacles to the gospel will remain and they will not be won to Christ. But if you're just a truth bomber and you're putting all these explosives on the outside of all the unbelievers' lives and you're just blowing it up all the time, there's just a lot of mess and no actual change. So we need to find a way in so that we can win them to Christ. So let's look at those three kind of steps. Number one, enter the world. Be in the world. I think this is a faithful approach to following Paul's model. To be in the world, you actually need to be, surprisingly, in the world. You actually need to, like C4 in our little mission strategy says, you need to be connected to unbelievers. You actually need to have friends that don't know Christ. You need to be in contexts where you can have meaningful relationships. But then once you're in those contexts, you need to become a Jew to the Jews and a Gentile to the Gentile, which means speaking in a way that they can actually understand, speaking their language, using their authoritative sources, knowing what they're thinking about, knowing what they're reading and understanding, and actually just like this normal friendship, right? But, but actually thinking about it in a clever way. We need to use accessible vocab. You know, we've got to try and remove the Christian ease from our language. You know, it's, it's very possible that all these words that we, we know what they mean, we can say them and we're like, don't you believe? And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. It'd be like me saying this to you very passionately. Hutos ha egapsen hotheos ton kosmon. Hoste ton weon monogene edoken. Hina pas hop pistuen ace auton me apaletai. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I can yell that sentence in Greek. I can put it on the screen. I can do it in the most amazing presentation ever. But unless I say it to you in English, you can't be saved. 
We need to stop speaking Greek when we're out in the world. We need to enter into people's lives and actually use language and vocab that they can understand so they can actually hear the gospel and receive it and be saved. We can enter in drilling down by demonstrating that we actually understand their objections and their fears and their insecurities about coming to Christ. We need to know people well enough to know that it's a really scary thing to become a Christian. You know, there's a lot of ladies that my wife is reaching out to in Parramatta, and they're Muslim women. And if, if they become a Christian, like divorce, loss of all their family support, massive, massive implications. And so we enter in by being sensitive to doubts and fears that people have, intellectual and historical, cultural, and even just pattern and way of life. We don't like giving up on our sins, and we don't like giving up on them as Christians. What? Non-Christians don't want to either. Demonstrate that you understand their objections. We can enter in by affirming what can be biblically affirmed. So it can be a temptation to always be given the truth and like, well, I don't believe in this. And we look at the negative things and we, we never touch on the positives. But one of the great ways in which we can preach the gospel is by looking for things in people's non-Christian worldview, which we can affirm and then lead it back to Christ. And finally, we can enter in by sacrificing our preferences. Little things, like it's simple, but you know, you might be a shoes-on type of person. You don't like taking your shoes off because it's awkward and you don't like feet. But you go to a, a house where, you know, maybe an Asian house or a Middle Eastern home and they all take their shoes off because why would you bring the filth of your life into my house? And so if you want to enter in and actually have a friendship with that person, you've got to take your shoes off and get your toes out, you know? <laughs> You might be someone that's like, no screen time for my kids. My kids, they will not take any, they're not going to be addicted to iPads and play school. They're just going to read the newspaper. That's all they're going to do. That, you know, that's my kid. But you're trying to reach out to a family and you know that the TV's always on. You're like, oh no, they're going to get an hour of screen time. It's going to kill them. Well, we adapt, we flex, we enter in, we sacrifice our privileges and our preferences so that we can be in it to win it. You might be upset by seeing idols in a home or, you know, radio at work that is, you know, playing songs you don't like, all those type of things. Anything we can do to give up our own rights and privileges so that we can win more is part of entering into their world. So how are you going entering in? How are you going flexing, you know, and adapting so that you can drill down deep? Secondly, I think we see in Paul's example and in um, Mr. Keller's example, we need to challenge the culture. We need to blast the explosives. If we're just camping out and hanging out with our friends and we, we know them and it's all good, but we never preach the good news of the gospel, nothing will change. You see, every culture has common grace. God is at work in every single culture in the world and every culture has things about God that they believe and disbelieve. And so we can find areas about, that they already believe about God and then connect them to parts that they don't believe and kind of float doctrines that they don't believe in across on things that they do believe in. For instance, we live in a culture that loves tolerance and love and, and, and equity. And so we can start there with affirming, yes, isn't it beautiful? Tolerance and love and equity, they're awesome traits. Isn't that fantastic? However, how do you even arrive at that being a reality? 
If we're all just, you know, sacks of molecular, you know, molecules and, and atoms crashing together, how can any one person have any dignity, value, or worth, let alone equal dignity and value and worth? The only way that you can have dignity and value and worth, the only way we can have tolerance and love and equity across race and culture is if there's a creator God. Because God made all men equal and God has brought us together as one united human race. So we need God if we want to have equity, if we want to have human rights. But then if we need God, then there's a creator God and that God has a standard by which we must live, one of them, which is equity. And so then you lead to a point where like, oh, so if I want tolerance and equity, I need God. But if I need God, then I've got a problem with God. And then you go, ah, but God has solved the problem. And that's where you get into point number three, appeal to them to come to Christ. So we enter in, we challenge their worldview, we challenge their godlessness, we challenge their life, and then we appeal for them to come to Christ so that they are won by him. You resolve their stories in Jesus. You resolve their anxieties and fears in Jesus. You resolve their hopes and dreams and positive aspirations for the future in Jesus Christ. Because the only way that people are saved is if we bring them back to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's many different gospel illustrations, um, gospel ideas that you can use to actually help people to see the beauty of the gospel. There's not just one way of preaching the gospel. There's one message, but many different ways. It's like in golf, you know, I don't know if many of you are golfers, but there's a lot of different clubs in the bag that can get you onto the green and just depends on which one you want to use at any given time, depends on the context that you're in. That's what preaching the gospel's like. You're talking with someone and they're talking about, you know, issues with their father and, and, and then you go, okay, let's get the adoption gospel club and, you know, chip it in and, you know, and someone's like, ah, whatever, I won't go too far down there, but... Um, Golf, just think golf. Next time you're evangelizing, just think golf. It'll help you. <laughs> the reality is, is that Paul had this incredible ability to avoid over-adapting, becoming just like the Jews or just like the Gentiles. He avoided under-adapting and just laying explosives and blowing everything up and winning no one. See, the Apostle Paul gives us this beautiful example of someone who is in the world to win the world. He enters in, he plants the gospel and he appeals to them, come to Christ. And Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And ultimately, I want to leave us this morning not with like, be better Pauls out there, which is very hard for the ladies. <laughs> um, but ultimately, Paul is saying, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. The reality is, is that Jesus Christ is the greatest contextualizer and translator that ever has been. See, Jesus came and left all the privileges of being in heaven, all the rights he has as the Son of God, and he was born as a man. He came in flesh and was subject to every temptation, suffering and pain in order that he might win you and I. You see, we imitate Paul as he imitates Christ because Christ came and laid everything down to win us to himself. So how can we not now, as a follower of that same Jesus Christ, lay down whatever obstacle, lay down whatever preference, lay down whatever privilege, lay down whatever time we have so that 
We can win our friends and family and co-workers and neighbours to Christ. We follow Paul, but even better, we follow Christ who won us. Friends, John says it like this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. If you keep Jesus in your center gaze, you will do this well. He comes full of grace and truth. He comes and and lays everything down. So friends, we need to be in it to win it. Adapting, flexing, changing with the same gospel message. We've got to translate that recipe so that everyone can taste the awesome Nigella chocolate cloud cake gospel and actually enjoy it and not have the bitter aftertaste of the orange rind and contro. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, we are not fit for this task. Um, I know I am not. It's so hard. Uh, And so we pray and ask that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, refine us and shape us, that we would be servants of all, that we would lay down our privileges, our preferences and our rights, uh, our comforts, our securities, that we would adapt and flex to our friends and our family and our neighbourhood without, without you know, giving in and, and compromising the gospel. We can't do this alone. But we need your power and we need your help. And we thank you, Lord God, that Jesus came in our place, that he contextualised to us, that he came as a man so that he could bear the sins of man, so that man and woman could repent and become followers of him and experience new life forever. Ah, oh, we thank you so much that we are in. So Lord, now send us out so that we can help more people to share in the blessings of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.